0: Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure.
1: Hey there, Impact Makers. Today, I'm sharing a conversation with you that I had recently with Sherry Simpson, who's the Senior Manager of Thought Leadership at Paylocity on the HR Mixtape podcast, which she hosts. I asked Sherry if I could also share the conversation with you because I thought she asked some great questions about the challenges and opportunities that HR leaders are facing in a world where work and employee expectations have changed forever. We discussed how technology and artificial intelligence impacts HR, as well as how HR can lead in the future of work in the areas of attracting and retaining talent, redefining employee engagement, and connecting employees with meaning and purpose in their work. We also touched on how HR leaders can build their influence and make a significant impact in their organizations, as well as the broader HR community. I've linked to the episode of the HR Mixtape podcast where this conversation originally appeared in the show notes. And I encourage you to check out those show notes in your podcast player or on my website for links to connect with Sherry and to follow or subscribe to the HR Mixtape podcast so you can listen to more thought provoking interviews, compliance tips, coffee chats, and the latest HR related news. Jennifer, thank you
0: so much for jumping on with me today.
1: Yeah, it's great to be back with you. We've done this before, so I guess I get to be a repeat guest.
0: Yes, I love that. We learned so much from you last time when we had you on PCTY Talks, and we're so glad you're able to join us now on the HR Mixtape, so really excited about that. I thought we could start with maybe learning a little bit more about you and your background and how you got into the HR industry to begin with.
1: Sure. Um, Well, it's a story I've told a few times, so maybe some who might be listening have heard it, but I think it's worthwhile because it does kind of go to how I think about HR and and what I'm doing today. So I got into HR back in the old days when it was called personnel. Uh, When I was in college, I was a junior. I visited with my advisor and he said it was time to choose a major. And I still don't know why to this day. I had never met someone who worked in personnel. I'd only had one job in a country grocery store that I was hired by the store manager. Never knew anyone in personnel, but I I kind of thought to myself, well, I guess I can't be the CEO right out of the blocks. So where can I have the most influence and impact in the organization and have access to the most people? And I said, personnel. So my university didn't have a degree program in that. So I just ended up getting a, a business management degree, but joined the American Society of Personnel Managers, which was what SHRM was called back in the day. So we have come a little bit further than that. And started out trying to find a job right out of college in HR, which as many HR people will tell you, it's very hard to get hired into an entry-level role in HR because they want you to have previous experience. But somehow I ended up talking my way into an HR manager job and the rest is history. I still believe almost, well, let's just say... Multiple decades later, I believe that HR is the place in the organization where you can have the most influence and impact. Yeah, the CEO has got a lot of responsibility, but the things that we do in human resources impact every employee and you have the opportunity to really have an influence over their lives and the company and its trajectory. So I think it was a pretty wise decision. I'm still I'm still down with that.
0: It's so refreshing to hear somebody who intentionally chose to go into HR. I feel like there's so many stories, even my own, where either I was pushed into it Mm -hmm. or you kind of fell into it or it was a backup plan. And it's just really exciting to see somebody who was passionate from the very beginning. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. As you think through your experiences and as we've, you know, seen what's happened over the last couple of years for HR, what do you see as some of the key challenges that we're going to face as businesses, uh, the landscape of business continues to change as the future of work continues to evolve for us.
1: Sure. I think um, I spoke at a group, a conference yesterday to a group of public HR professionals. I said, for years, I mean, I started again when it was called personnel, it was very administrative. And then for years, we kind of got on the, the bandwagon of we wanted to be seen as business partners. And then we moved on to strategic business partners. And then we started advocating for seats at tables. And, you know, there were a lot of things that HR and the profession has done over the years to try to get recognition and respect for the work that we do. I think we were headed in that direction pre-2020. There was a lot more, I think, being seen from HR in terms of the value they provided, and many organizations had that strategic partnership uh, role defined reporting to the CEO, very important uh, person who definitely had a seat at the table and a voice. You don't just need a seat, you need a voice. But I think post 2020, where wherever we stand in terms of pandemic phase right now, we really saw that organizations had to reckon with the fact that people are truly their most important asset. And that's not just a phrase on a plaque in the wall in the hallway. And many HR leaders who had not been brought into the decision-making table before were brought in because we couldn't make any decisions or move forward or serve our customers' needs without considering the people aspect. So I think since that time, uh, HR has had a real opportunity. Many have taken full advantage of that opportunity to, to add value to to be the people who need to be in the room when decisions are happening and thinking about the future. And so how does that kind of portray the future of work for HR? We're in the best position we've ever been to really have an impact. You know, as I said, I wanted to get into the role to have influence and impact. HR is positioned for that even in organizations where it wasn't before. The opportunity also is a challenge and because it's complex, it's more complex than it ever has been before. You know, the workforce has a completely different attitude post-2020 to how they want to work, how they want to be treated, what they think is important, what they're looking for both out of life and work. And so that makes HR's job much more complex, both to understand the needs and the wants and desires of their employees and their their prospective employees, but also how to deliver on that while still making sure that we are making profits and that we are, you know, taking the business to where it needs to be. So with great challenge comes great opportunity or vice versa with great opportunity come great challenge. But I think I see and listen to and hear from many HR leaders who are excited about that challenge and opportunity and and ready to go.
0: How do you see technology impacting that future. So I just got back from a conference in California, and obviously there's a lot of talk about AI right now and automation. And, and those are things that we definitely know we need in our industry. And in a lot of ways, it's going to help us. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious from from such a, a veteran outlook, how do you see technology changing you know, the future of HR?
1: Well, again, technology has been changing the future of HR for the last a couple of decades at least. I know when I started, everything was manual. I had a typewriter in my office and a bunch of whiteout that I used liberally. So uh, everything was a three-part carbon copy form back in the day, and we filed things manually in folders. So we've come a long way, I think, and technology has been an impetus for change all along. But again, over the last few years, technology, like everything else, is just exploding and more rapid. and And both, again, the opportunities and the challenges are there. I just really want to challenge HR leaders, and I know many people are are running full steam ahead with how can we use AI, how can we use the new tools that are available to us. I really challenge HR leaders in the talks that I give and in the coaching that I do. Really pay attention to your consumer experience, how you navigate the world as a human, you know, not in the workplace, but how you use your mobile device, how you use your, you know, your screens to select content that you want to consume, how you interact with vendors out in the world, how you decide, last night I decided I need a new cup. I went on Amazon and ordered a cup within like 10 seconds and it's already here. You know, so (laughs) it still amazes me. I want groceries. I've been out of town all week. Somebody's already delivered them to my door. I didn't have to go. We need to think about all of those things and then also bring that into the workplace. Our employees want to be able to navigate the workplace similarly to how they do their life. And in the past, it's been much easier to navigate life than it has been to go into the workplace because we're still using triplicate forms and requiring you know, physical signatures. So I just want HR leaders to kind of be thinking ahead. I've long said that technology is not the responsibility of IT or the CIO. Technology in your organization is a productivity and a communication tool, you know, whatever tools they are, their productivity and communication tools, that involves people. So that means you should be right in there in those discussions, and you should be looking for opportunities to either implement new technologies, and certainly leading the charge when technologies are introduced into the organization. Like right now, let's think back to our experiences and what we've learned over the last, you know, 15 years with social media. You know, in the beginning, HR was like, no social media, everything's blocked, that will be dangerous, you know, security issues, employees will say bad things. We lost that war, and we will lose the war with AI if we are saying that we can't use that. I'm on a business advisory board to the Department of Defense, you know, the 4 million plus people that are both in the military and civilian employees and the the DOD is running full steam ahead with how AI and technologies can be used. So, any employer out there that's telling me that it's a security issue, if the DOD can say, we need to figure this out and not hide because our competitors certainly aren't hiding or from the technology, they're using it. So, we need to use it too. And that's just going to be my challenge for HR leaders. It's out there. You should be looking ahead to see what's new and next. Right now, AI is not new, not next. It's here. How can we figure out how to use it in our organizations? Uh, It's interesting. I listen to a lot of podcasts, certainly, about AI. But one I listened to recently was with Adam Grant, and he had a, a college professor who I don't remember what he taught, but and also an AI expert. And Adam Grant, who is also a college professor at Wharton and a best-selling author, was saying he was very skeptical. He hates AI. He doesn't like the content that it spits out. It removes critical thinking. So he shared his thoughts. And then the other college professor said, I require my students to use AI in the classroom. And so they had a really good debate about why we should be embracing it and helping people to figure out how to use it to to expand their creativity rather than, you know, accepting what it spits back to us initially. But certainly AI can be used in chatbots in a lot of ways in organizations other than just like what ChatGPT is doing today.
0: So I want to paraphrase something that you just said, because I, I think it is such an interesting takeaway, is that HR should be in this space either implementing or influencing technology in your organizations, because that has a direct impact to productivity and communication of your talent. I love that. I think that is, if you take away anything from this podcast episode, take away that because there have been so many times in my HR career where you're reacting to things that are rolling out. You don't have a good sense of it. It creates bad employee experience. It potentially lowers productivity and collaboration. So you have a seat in that IT table. I absolutely love that. Uh, I want to switch topics a little bit, you know, we are sitting in a space now where our talent market is a lot different than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Expectations from candidates are a lot different. You know, I've talked about on the podcast before that, you know, we get questions now around our carbon footprint and our social responsibility. And that's just one factor when it comes to attracting and retaining talent. What are some of the things that you've been seeing or some advice you have to HR professionals to be competitive in that labor market space right now?
1: They really need to have their eyes open, similar to kind of technology. What does the workforce want? What are people responding to in terms of both your employees? What are they asking for? What are their expectations? Why are people leaving your organization? Why are they joining your organization? Why are they not joining your organization? And again, I really challenge HR leaders to remove your thoughts about generations. I think, again, post-pandemic world, all generations are wanting more sense of well-being, a better work-life balance, whether that's integration or balance, however you want to talk about it. They are no longer thinking about their employment in terms of, and we haven't been for a while, even the older generations, 20, 30 years at the same company. They're really focused on career growth and learning opportunities and new skills development, which your organization should also be focused on because you're going to have to constantly develop skills of people who are in your organization because the jobs will change. So I think it's a real challenge for HR leaders to say I need to be listening, reading, learning from my peers, what are the things that people are wanting, what are the solutions they're looking for from their employer. I was surprised earlier this year on my own podcast to interview I believe it was Alex Alonso, Dr. Alex Alonso from Sherm about, you know, what what employees actually are looking for from their companies and organizations. And it was a lot around, they want uh, their organization to help them manage their financial responsibility. They want their organization to help them think about their career growth. And I'm like, wow, in my past, we would have like stayed away from that because work, you know, there's work and then there's your life outside of work and we don't want the two to cross. I think that line is blurred for people in all generations. Now they are looking to their employer to provide them resources, tools, education, and things that are Purely in their personal life, and they're also looking for that in in the workplace. So the best advice I can give anyone is have your eyes and ears open. Be, uh, you know, have some blogs that you regularly read. Have some resources. Like I get, you know, regular emails from Deloitte, from Gallup, from. McKinsey, you know, I'm I'm trying to stay informed with what you know some of the leading organizations are out there doing, and if I were working as an HR leader, I would be using that to figure out what my organization needs to do as well.
0: Is there any organizations that you see because you mentioned social media earlier Mm -hmm. that are doing that really well from a attracting and retaining talent perspective?
1: Um, Well, I can't think of like a specific organization, but I can say there are companies doing it well. And you don't need to look any further than, again, podcast interviews find some HR podcasts that are focused on HR leadership, et cetera. There's many, this one being one, you know, Lars Schmidt's uh, Redefining Work, Larry Rudiman's Punk Rock HR. You can listen to my podcast, Impact Makers with Jennifer McClure. On those podcasts, they're interviewing CHROs, chief people officers that are talking about how they are leading in the future of work. Another one is uh, David Green's People Analytics podcast. I don't know exactly what it's called. But every week they're talking with another global business leader in HR or related to the people function about what they're doing. And and many of these companies are way far out there ahead of some others. And so it's always good. I know when I started as a speaker 13, 14 years ago and was talking again a lot about using social media at the time in HR and recruiting, and I would share examples from Google or um, who was the darling at the time, Zappos, you know, Facebook and I'd be sharing these examples and inevitably someone would raise their hand and they'd say, we're not Google. And I'd be like, I know you're not Google, but the good news is that Google's already spending a lot of money to figure this out. And through this example, you need to take away what you can, that you can take back to your organization. Will you be able to spend millions of dollars on something? Maybe not necessarily, but you can learn or infer from what they learned when they did that. And implement, and implement that in your own organization. So there's numerous examples. Find people on LinkedIn that you can follow who are sharing good content. You know, follow, you don't have to connect with, you can follow a chief people officer at Microsoft. You can follow these leaders who are sharing great information about what their companies are doing. Online. Another one I was just looking at LinkedIn before we got on this podcast. Noah Warder and his company is going to escape me, but he's in Canada. Uh, and every day he's posting some sort of leadership insight, something about the people space. And it's N O A H W A R D E R. Follow Noah, you know, see what he's he's learning, who he's learning from. And it's no different than when I started blogging back in 2008. I'd started reading a couple of blogs before that. And back in the day, the good old days of blogging, which we've that's long gone. It was really important for bloggers to link to other sources to build their network to connect with other bloggers. And I found consistently again some of my people that I learned from still today that I some of my best friends. You know, I started reading Chris Dunn's The HR Capitalist, and back in the day he posted five days a week practitioner insights. You know, he did work at a small company in Alabama, but. He linked to Laurie Rudiman's anonymous blog one day called Team Building for Suckers. I followed Laurie's blog. You know, I probably followed a lot of links to other people that were mentioned by the people that I admired and respected. And I think that's a way that HR leaders can say, well, if I want to learn what leading companies are doing, let me find one leader, go follow Noah. Today, he linked to three other leaders that he's learned from on LinkedIn, follow them. If they have a blog or if they have a social media account. There's so much good, free sharing of information out there. Lars Schmitz, another one that I mentioned, has a lot of open source resources. There's lots of ways for people to learn and stay current and be looking into the future about how they can best lead their organizations from a people perspective.
0: It's so exciting to be in this space now where all those resources are so easily accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember starting out my career and you know, it was just, you know, as a baby HR, it's like, you know, I was like, what book do I need to read? Who do I need to talk to? And and now, like you said, you don't even have to connect with people on LinkedIn. You can just follow them and kind of gain that knowledge. So we are definitely in a a great era for learning and growth in our profession. So I appreciate those examples. You know, I'm curious is if you think about engagement right now. And, and the question I had written was about boosting engagement levels, but I'm going to change it a little bit because I think our definition of engagement has fundamentally changed over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, especially as we were talking about things like, you know, quiet quitting and, and those types of things, which really is, you know, deciding my discretionary effort doesn't all have to be given to my organization anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to have work-life integration, sway, whatever the word is you want to use for it. How are you seeing companies redefine what engagement means as they think about cultures and and how we talk about employee experience now?
1: Well, I have not changed how I feel about employee engagement because I believe I'm right. Um, (laughs) I've long said employee engagement is not about whether your employees are happy or sad. Uh, You will have good days at work. You will have bad days at work. There will be challenging times. Employee engagement is about, it's a function of whether or not someone feels connected to the purpose and what the company is doing and that they feel like that the work that they do actually matters. So if I don't show up tomorrow and I'm supposed to be here, it's going to impact both people on my team and my organization and eventually our customers or the people that we provide services to. So to do that, we need to have a clear understanding as our organization and as leadership, what is the purpose of our company? You know, I use the example of during the pandemic, you know, right when the pandemic first started, Indeed.com obviously was pretty heavily impacted because job posting certainly went away overnight because a lot of jobs went away overnight. And I knew people at Indeed during that time, and I was talking with several of them at different times, and they were actually working harder than ever before. And it all was because their purpose, their tagline is we help people get jobs. And so they were able to rally individually and as teams and as an organization around, okay, our core business model has been completely disrupted, but what can we do? What resources can we provide? How can we help people get jobs? Because that's what we do. And that's more, and actually more important than ever today. So, that was getting people engaged during a really difficult time because they were able to connect to the purpose and the mission of their company and the value that they provided. But each individual was able to do that as well. I'm helping people. Um, So I think it's important to uh, Laszlo Bach, who's the former SVP of people operations at Google says the single biggest thing that you can do at work is to connect your employees to meaning and purpose in their work. So We'll have good, bad day, good days and bad days, but if I feel like I need to push through this because what we're doing matters, then I'll be able to do that. You now, You know, engagement, I think, also is a function of there's a lot of studies out there that say the single biggest factor in employee engagement is whether or not an individual feels like their manager actually acknowledges them and sees them and recognizes the work that they do. But that goes back to, I feel that my work matters because my leadership actually tells me it matters as well. So we as leaders need to be encouraging people to connect to that purpose and meaning and then seeing their efforts and recognizing their efforts. So, you know, I'm sure there's other factors that go in employee engagement, but I'm still going to land on the biggest factor in employee engagement is whether or not someone feels like the work that they do matters. And I've long said I need to find somebody and talk to them. I feel really sorry for the chief people officer at the meat processing plant or the chicken rendering plant. Because <laughs> it's gotta be really hard to get people excited about coming to work in that environment. But at the same time, if their purpose is to feed people nutritional, healthy food or, you know, to find a way to get people connected to that, like John Deere, John De- you know, I think of John Deere, I think of green tractors or lawnmowers, and they're purpose statement is around creating opportunities for people to sustain themselves through food or something like that. So they've made it a higher purpose, I guess, is what I'm saying than a green tractor. I love that.
0: You know, as we wrap up our conversation in and I've always really enjoyed talking with you because I think you are somebody in our HR space who's very authentic about the pros and cons and authentic about your own journey and the things that you're seeing that are working. And also very passionate about your stance on a lot of things. So as you think about giving advice to an HR person who wants to maybe be more involved in the HR industry, maybe start speaking or blogging or getting involved What are some advice or or tips on how they can start to expand their influence outside of their organizations and into our larger HR industry?
1: It has never been easier to expand your influence, to build your network, to become a thought leader in the industry. And it's as simple as sharing what you know. You know, again, back in the day, it was through blogging. Blogs still work, but you can blog on LinkedIn. You can have a newsletter on LinkedIn. You can post daily on LinkedIn and get A lot of people to see and recognize and value your content. I would say probably half of the speaking engagements that I've already booked this year have been through people who have seen my content on LinkedIn. I have a weekly newsletter on LinkedIn. I know at least a couple of them have come to me because someone read that newsletter or one of the newsletters that I wrote was the topic that they were looking for a speaker on. There are people like Tracy Spondenberg, who's a chief people officer. Tracy posts daily, I think, on LinkedIn. Always good content, reflective of you know the work that she's doing. Human resources in general. She speaks at conferences and events. Julie Turney is another one. T U R N E Y. She's a started since when I met her through LinkedIn. She was just sharing good content about being an HR practitioner in Barbados. And now she's expanded into having her own business where she helps HR leaders with burnout and self care and has a really thriving coaching, speaking workshop practice. So find some people that you can model from. Tracy and Julie would be great. Again, Lars Schmidt's another one. Laurie Rudeman's another one. I share. Subscribe to my newsletter. Follow, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. (laughs) And then Learn that it's not as difficult as you think. I know I get in my own way sometimes, like, will I have to write just the epic tome. Uh, That's why I haven't written a book yet, because it's like, oh, it needs to be a New York Times bestseller. No, Uh, (laughs) the last 13 years, people have just been asking for me for a book about what I've been speaking about. (laughs) It's never going to be a New York Times bestseller. But if a thousand HR people were able to buy it and it made a difference in their lives, I should do that. So I'm working on that one. Hey,
0: you don't know. It could be a New York Times bestseller. It could be.
1: I would love to be an HR best book bestseller. But just start writing, you know, learn from the examples of some of the people that I mentioned there and just share your experience, share what you're learning. It's an amazing opportunity. If you go to something like the upcoming Sherman Annual Conference, uh, there are a lot of people that I follow, you know, they'll write their daily takeaways. You know, I attended Jennifer McClure's mega session on personal branding and here's what I learned and here's what I'm going to do. That's, it's not easy per se to put your thoughts on paper and to sound coherent, but it's not hard. Uh, You can share what you learned. Back in the day, I would encourage job seekers to share their job search experience, their networking experience, get their visibility up, you know, through just sharing what they're learning. I became a speaker simply because I was sharing what I learned. I shared my networking experience. I shared my transition experience from corporate into taking on, you know, and going in a different direction. I shared what I was learning about social media. I helped executives learn how to build their LinkedIn profiles back when LinkedIn was new. Those people then started saying, Hey, come to my organization or my company and teach my employees how to set up a LinkedIn profile, tell them about how they can be networking as an introvert. So by sharing what I knew, I started to get asked to share that with others LinkedIn is a great place to start. If you want to if you have a website, blog, share share your LinkedIn content on your blog. (laughs) Probably going to get more visibility these days on LinkedIn. So start there. Absolutely
0: love it and enjoy our time together. As always, Jennifer, thank you so much for a few minutes of your day. All right. Thanks for having me back. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.